You know, I had a friend that told me this, you know, he said when he was 12 years old, his father pulled him outside the house and he didn't confess, but his his dad had had an affair. He was a pastor, had an affair with the church secretary, classic story. You know, this woman that's in the trenches with him that knows him and cares mm-hmm. for his heart and where he feels like a man in the pulpit and not at home. And he said, son, you are the man of the house now. I'm leaving. Hmm. And at, at 12, my friend had to be the man of the house. And so he learned to be an adult at 12. He learned to provide, to be responsible, to make sure he saves every dollar. He doesn't waste money. And he learned to have very little joy. That false self saved his life in those early years because he did have to survive. He did have to grow up far too early. But Nick, he got to a point where it was no longer serving him. And so when we name the false self, we get to acknowledge him with compassion and Mm. say, you are no longer welcome. You no longer have say here. I don't give you permission anymore to shape my marriage, to sabotage my career, to keep me bound in fear. You, you don't, you're not welcome here. You're not me. Friends, it's Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. Recently, I was drawn back to Matthew chapter 5. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I love Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. It says in verse 1, he begins, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed ones, climbed with him. They arrived at a quiet place. Jesus sat down and he taught his climbing companions. Friends, the Become Good Soil podcast and the mission of Become Good Soil is for the few. We reach the many to find the few. As you may well know at this point in the journey, it's the deep discipleship track for Wild at Heart. And our interest is to strengthen, to nourish, and to sharpen the hearts of men who want to go deeper, to want to take the slow and steady journey, the path and process of becoming wholehearted, to become true, to become the kind of men who have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, and nothing to fear. And as you know, many of you listeners are women, and we bless the the presence of women. You're so brave to enter this space. And we intend this podcast to target men because I want to have a space for men to wrestle honestly with the things of the masculine heart. But it is every bit as relevant for women who are fighting for the men in their world. And so much of it um, pertains to men and women. But as you know, with Become Good Soil, the mission first and foremost is to fight for the hearts of men so that together we can become wholehearted and love women and love children and over time see 
all of God's people in creation restored and become all that it was meant to be. So friends, for this podcast, I wanna start with a story. Last week, I was spending time with a mentor, an older brother, and a friend who has consented over time, over decades to this path and process. He was just giving me an honest, uh, risky invitation into an everyday life in his world. He's a professional with a high-level company in his chimney sweep world. And he was telling me the story that every day, one of his regular practices when he goes to bed is among his other prayers. He says each night, God, search me, search me. I want to be found. And I want you to reveal anything in me that has given itself over to anyone or anything but you, God. And it's from the scripture, search me, know my heart, reveal any evil or wicked way within me. The idea is I want to do an honest inventory. Is there anything as I go to bed on this night that would separate me from you, that would compromise our intimacy and our union. It's a, it's a beautiful sort of just spiritual inventory to stay connected with God. And so on this particular night, he was mindful that he was pissed off. He has a landlord where he has his the front of his shop for his business. And his business has been rather successful over the last few years. And the older landlord, who's several decades older than him, has been regularly increasing his rent. And not just increasing it in small measure, but first he doubled the rent, and then he tripled the rent. He quadrupled the rent. As he saw the success of this younger man, he went up five times in rent. And so my friend was pissed off. He could feel a combination. There was some sort of righteous anger for the injustice, but mostly he was confessing. The Spirit showed him it was his flesh. He was angry because he felt entitled to those profits. And the company was doing very well and could fund the rent. But the issue was he was not okay with being charged the increased rents. And so... He prayed about it. He tried to release it to God, but he woke up at two in the morning and he was still upset and he couldn't sleep. And so he actually went to his office, which is also a place of just sacredness for him to pray in the off business hours. And as he was worshiping and praying and really sinking in, he could connect with God. And he asked the father, he said, father, what do you want to say? What is your counsel? What is your direction? And Father spoke to him and said, I want you to take care of my son. And instantly he thought of his boys. He has several children and he thought, where am I missing my sons? What do they need from me? How did I blow it? And he could think of a half dozen ways where he had sinned against his sons and maybe he needed to do some some repair work in relationship. But he stayed with the father and he said, God, what are you saying? What relationship is it? And he said, I want you to take care of my son. And then he saw the image of this older man who was the landlord. And in that moment, he was able to receive the revelation that this issue about the rent increasing fivefold wasn't an issue of extortion. It wasn't about his entitlement. It was about God the Father wanting to provide through this man 
to this landlord, that it was God ordering the resources. It was God's economy, God's timing, God's portion, God's intention, and my friend was intended to steward it. And as a son, he can look at injustice. As a son, he can look at this math that just doesn't add up and say, I want to be obedient. I want to walk with God. I want to be the kind of man who's yielded to God that responds quickly and deeply to the invitation of my father. And so he went that morning at sunrise to the landlord who actually lived in the building on the other section. And he said to him in humility, I am delighted to pay the increase in rent. I've been successful and I want to share that with you. And so I'll pay you a check right now. I'm honored to be your tenant. Thank you for having the opportunity. The older man looked at this younger man eye to eye, and he said these words, thank you for caring for me. And in that moment, the older man spoke the very same words that the father had spoken by way of invitation to my friend. It was a beautiful connection. God's economy, God's plans and purposes moving forward in the earth through the heart of one man who has consented to God and understands that all the resources are God, that there is no scarcity in our father's house. There is abundance, that he's not behind, that he's on time, and that he is ultimately a steward of God's resources. Friends, those are the kinds of stories that make me glad to see men who are becoming sons, whose identity is being healed and restored, men who are taking the path and process of initiation to tend to their story, to address the questions, where have I come from? Where am I going? And Father, where are we today? So in light of that, I want to dive into this next Become Good Soil podcast. Often I'm interviewing other people, but I've been urged by friends that um, they enjoy when I am the one being interviewed. So over the last year, I've had the privilege of being interviewed on quite a number of podcasts and on the Become Good Soil page under podcasts, many of those in other podcasts, that's a section separate from Become Good Soil podcasts. I've just made all those available. So if you want to find more, you can find them there. I was interviewed last year by a younger man, Nick Carlisle, on the Life Enchanted podcast. And we had a beautiful two-part series. And as is with most podcast recordings, some of the very best dialogue happens when the official recording is not taking place. And it's before the recording or after the recording. And so in the second episode, Nick and I were able to go into a beautiful place uh, in my story and his that actually didn't make the cut because it was off record and it wasn't on his formal podcast, but with Become Good Soil, I have the privilege and opportunity to include those sort of raw off cuts. And so my sense for this episode was to go into a podcast where I was being interviewed on masculine initiation, on the deep questions of the masculine soul, and wrestling with the next steps to become wholehearted and true. So let's dive in. I've read your new book, which is excellent, Becoming a King, and I'm working back through it right now alongside uh, the study guide with a group of 10 men in my area. 
And and there's about a thousand things that I want to talk with you about yes. today because so many things that you've said have have resonated and and uh, just articulated my experience in life thus far. And I thought um, the best place for us to start would be the language that you use to compare uh, your 20s versus your 30s. Um, and again, I want to start there because it was spot on for me. So can you break that down for us a bit? Yeah, I sure can. And I think one of the helpful starting points too is I'm sure there are people at all different ages listening to this. Mm -hmm. And what's so important is what I'm going to articulate here for the 20s and 30s, it's a it's very specific and it's also metaphor. It it has everything to do with a stage that the soul needs to travel through in our process to become wholehearted and mature. What I found, Nick, is I've been fathering a son in this message. He is 16. He just recently turned 16, Joshua. And what I found is the same questions that are center um, and forefront for his soul going from boyhood to manhood are the very same questions that I went through from 20s to 30s. Mm. And so much of it was I lacked the initiation I needed as a boy. And God's brilliance is that as a father to his sons, we're always on time. He's never playing catch up. And so wherever we are, the father meets us and will continue our process of initiation. But what happens in Western culture very specifically in the transition from 20 to 30, it, it, in some ways, it's it's like, to say it, I would say it this way, it's the next best chance to go from boy to man. Mm. And so it's not that it's isolated to that decade. Some men don't go through it until they're 50, mm -hmm. but it is the second pass we have. And so in light of that, it's really the journey from boyhood to manhood. And, and in the 20s, so often the false self has been formed. Uh, you know, I was talking to some educators and they were saying there's such a stark difference between junior uh, middle school and the junior uh, high school compared to senior high. And they said junior high kids are just wet clay. They're so malleable. They're so wonderfully awkward. <laughs> they're they're so impressionable, right? You remember mm -hmm, those years. Mm -hmm. Like they they don't even know what they don't know, but something happens and we become very fixed in most kids in high school, they become rigid in defining who they are and what it is is the formulation of the false self. And so they found a way mostly out of wounding and trauma to self-protect to say this is who I am based on what the world values and what the world rewards. And so they find a way to make life work apart from God. It becomes a persona. It becomes very fixed. And I call the 20s um, this stage of exploration and discovery. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be a time to get a lot of data to be exposed to cultures and information and teaching and worldviews to try on a little bit about a lot of things to explore and discover. And that's in a, in a healthy form. It's just filling out our map and coming to understand what it is we believe mm -hmm. before we can even think about what we think about what we believe. We have to 
mm-hmm. discover what it is that we've come to believe. Who is God? Who am I as a man or woman? Who am I individually? What is the story in which I live? What is my frontier? Those are kind of some of the fundamental questions. It's meant to be an age of exploration, discovery. And most men out of their false self as young young men, their lives are exclamation points. They, you know, it's uh, most high school kids know far more than their parents. They're never wrong. They have it all figured out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and yet Dallas Willard says that reality is what we bump into when we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. You know, I ran into a glass wall moving a piece of furniture in this really fancy high rise office. Like, 20 years ago. And I will never forget like the, just the percussion of a wall that I did not know was there. You know, I looked like a raccoon, two black eyes, my whole face swelled because my, all my body weight went in with my nose. It was there though. I failed to believe in its reality and I paid a dear price. And so the shift from twenties to thirties is often another opportunity to uh, begin to exchange our exclamation points for question marks. What happens is our life gets very real. So often in the 30s, we're, we're done um, being the center of our story, though we don't know it until mm-hmm. we are propelled out of it. it. It The shift is often with marriage. It then it's severely with children. But even if it's not married, marriage and children yet, it's career and making decisions about where we'll live and um, thinking about being married. And, and what happens in this decade, Nick, is that some of life is behind us. For the first time, what we observe is that our life matters to other people. It's not that it doesn't always matter. But in specific, our decisions have consequences for good or for ill. But the shift is, uh, I call it a shift from exploration and discovery to a decade of apprenticeship. It's now where we have to begin unlearning all that we've learned. It's where much of what we've learned is wrong. We've bought the lies of the world and we're set on a track. And if you look at men in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, what you'll find it often is a life that you don't want, but you're set to be on that same trajectory. And so the question of the 30s becomes a question. It becomes, what are the questions? I need, as I replace my exclamation points with question marks, where is life found? Mm-hmm. How do I make it last? Um, what is the most important thing? What if I've learned some things wrong? What's the work that I need to do to actually contend with real honest issues that are surfacing, that are bearing fruit in my life that I'm not interested? So that's the big shift. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and like I said, it that is spot on to my experience, man. I mean, in my 20s, graduated college, um, established some just unhealthy habits and substance addictions and stuff like that. And uh just got into some bad patterns, moved back home, um, was not my best self, was totally living out of my false self and ended up getting married. And once I got married, kind of realized that, whoa, my decisions have consequences on my relationships and these other people's people. And 
and things blew up in front of my face in some pretty drastic ways. Um, and then enter my thirties, just like you said, it became a complete unraveling of everything that I thought was important or that I needed to do or aspired to do or whatever. And there's been so much goodness in relation with the father and intimacy and dependence on the father. And, um, but yeah, I just, I just love that language you put to it because that was, it went from selfishness and I'm the center of the world and narcissism and a life of all about me to now I'm married, I have kids and I have all of this past baggage and habits that I've, that I've established in my mind and in my person that I need to unravel and, and figure out what really life is all about. Can you speak to, to it being a decade why isn't there a shortcut? Why isn't there a quick fix? Why isn't there a magic book or a magic pill? Why is it a decade of excavation? I think what I would say is one of the most hopeful patterns I've seen is that men who consent to the path and the process a decade from now, they end up teaching, whether formally or informally, out of their greatest pain. Mm. and bringing life to other people, that their deepest struggles and their deepest questions a decade from now, if they consent to the path and process, will actually become one of their greatest strengths, that our secret life is actually transformed from our place of deep sorrow or shame to our great strength. Mm -hmm. And But the best things in life take time. You know, nature was meant to be the first sacred text for the human soul. Most of humanity, for most of creation, never had the scriptures. But what we had was creation. And creation tells us a story of the slow and steady. That things happen mostly little by little. Mm. Yes, there's earthquakes, but mostly it's the subtle tectonic shift of the plates. You know, there's often storms. Um, but mostly it's the slow growth of every year. You know, the scrub oak in my yard, they grow approximately eight to 10 inches per year. The crowns on the candles on the ponderosa pines, if they grow five inches, it's a good year. Um, the best things in life take time. Nature shows us that that's, that's, that's the, the story in which our souls were born. And we resist this profoundly. And Jesus, Jesus, thousands of years ago, back in this same plea, he said, you know, don't take shortcuts. <clears throat> he said, you know, the market, I love Peterson's translation. He says, the market is flooded with surefire shortcuts um, of a life that leads to God, but they simply are not true. Um, mm -hmm. A.W. Tozier said that um, for the, that he said, I, I just wished that there were shortcuts that exist and I search for them in vain. But those that want to become and those that want to know God must actually spend time with him cultivating his acquaintance. Mm. And so I think, mm -hmm. Nick, for me, I wanted shortcuts. Yeah. I wanted them. I was pissed, to be frank, that I couldn't get them because I looked around on the landscape of my world and I saw a lot of men that were getting shortcuts. And I remember sitting with a mentor saying, it's unfair. It's unfair. Like, why do so many men get shortcuts? And he said, I really want to challenge that assumption that you have I want you to pray about that. And so I prayed about it. And I said, God, I, I confess there are all kinds of guys that get shortcuts. And so God said, okay, make a list. 
And so I wrote down the names of 10 men that I believed were my peers that all seem like they got some kind of shortcut, you know, a windfall of money, um, a, a leg up in their work because of a connection, um, you know, some kind of relationship that they were taking a shortcut with, but seemed like it was working for them, not dealing with their brokenness and getting away with it. Um, not, you know, neglecting their fitness and their well wellness and just coasting on genetics. Mm. It went on and on. And over several years, I literally, Nick, went back to that journal and one by one had to put a line through their names mm. saying, oh, oh, God bless his soul. God bless that man. That didn't work. Mm. And there came a point of my masculine initiation where no one was left on the list. And so we come to a point in our journey as men where we choose to begin to no longer waste our pain. And the, and the brilliance of the father is he's very patient. He's very patient. He waits to be wanted, Tozier said. And when we're busy and we're in a hurry, the father is very quiet. And that's why with Become Good Soil message and the intensive specifically, we tell people this is for the few. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions on the application is how have you suffered? Yeah. Because we've learned that unless a man has suffered, and has come to contend with his suffering and has started to ask the questions, he's not ready. He hasn't hit his bottom. And so I believe that in a world that promises quick, cheap, and easy, mm -hmm. that the antidote so often is to consent to the slow and steady process. We see it in the films that we love. We see it infused in all the great Bible stories slow and steady wins the race mm -hmm. and to participate with the nature of reality, you know, like Dallas says, it can be tested and found to be reliable. It's worth the risk. Mm. Yeah. Again, such, such a powerful truth that is spoken to my experience. I mean, even if you, Morgan, look at the podcast episodes that I've done, I realized this the other day, um, when this po podcast first started about two years ago. And if you look at some of the episodes, it's like, mindfulness meditation, my favorite biohack, cold showers, breath work, um, like caffeine consumption, supplements, um, books I'm reading, like all these different kind of like shortcut strategies that I, that definitely have some benefit and that help me in some way. But as, as the, the podcast has progressed, the episodes have now become so much more spirit and God focused and vulnerability yes. and open and honest and deeper conversations and honest conversations. And it was just interesting for me to see that. Like I started out with all of these things that, that culture wants and that, that people want exactly. these quick fixes. But in the end, it's all about union with your creator and growing in that relationship and, and excavating all the crap as you say. And that's, I mean, that's just the truth of it. And, and one thing that, that stuck out to me, um, in one of the podcasts that I heard you do, I think it was with John Moorhead is he said that, that faith gr only, only grows in adversity. Um, and I've, and I've seen that again in my life, in my suffering, because I've turned to all these different things and realized that they're all just chasing wind and, that when I do turn to the Father and when I do go deep and intimate with Him, that is the only source of life and of progress and of goodness um, that is true 
for me. And that's been a powerful revelation, but it's taken so much time to get there. And it's, and I'm still, you know, anticipating the, the time that it's going to take to get even further. So, but it's good. It's good. There's fruit in that. Yeah, there really is. And and I think it's beautiful that you can look back over your podcast and watch that transformation because, you know, it's, it's nature. Like we, we are builders. We are, we, we are, we are designed to um, be entrepreneurial, to co-create with God. But we have a bend towards the false. We have a, bend, a sin nature that's not the truest thing about us, but it is our operational reality. Of course, we are going um, in our own self-sufficiency to seek out those shortcuts. And the question is, what do we do when we're exposed? What do we do when it's not working? Because there's a lot of men, Nick, that have put their heels down and keep trying to go after the life hacks, right? Mm -hmm. They keep trying to pursue it. And the thing is, you can make a lot of money with life hacks because that's what sells books. That's sexy, Mm -hmm. right? People are looking for a shortcut, but in the end, um, it's, it's like cotton candy. You know, it smells good. It looks good. And, and yet in the end, there's just simply no substance. And so when you do consent to the, to the process, um, you will see that not only is there fruit, but the holy irony is that a decade is actually not a long time. Now, I just want to pause and say, if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this, you just blew me off. You just said you're an old man, right? I I remember I was sitting with a mentor. I was 30 and I was asking him about this ancient path. How do you recover it? Where do you find life? And, And I said, how do I love this woman who's living in my house who before we were married, I thought I knew her. And now every day I'm getting more confused, you know, Mm -hmm. and he turned to me, Nick, and he was slow in his response. And he said, Morgan, some decades are harder than other decades. (laughs) And Nick, I remember I went, first of all, that's, that's ludicrous. Secondly, that's completely unhelpful. I am just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But what it did was I'm talking about it now, you know, some uh, uh, 15 years later, almost where it what it did was begin to reorient my my view of reality. It began to show me part of the problem is I have such a short term view and I'm living my life like the stock market, like a day trader up and down, up and down with no long term view. And, and that's where the shift was live in the day and measure in the decade. Mm-hmm. What if, and literally like for my retirement, I quit looking at it other than maybe twice a year, um, for, for some time. And I was an economics major, you know, I'm very interested in business and markets, but I actually had to discipline myself to say, I'm actually uninterested in daily performance what I want to know are long-term trends because that's, that's true to my soul. And so what, that's what I need in my finances. And that's what I need in my marriage. That's what I need in my life. But I need to live in the day and measure in the decade, not live in the decade with all these regrets and concerns and fears and measure in the day with this bipolar, you know, reality towards life. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a monumental shift that a man must take. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Can you unpack the idea of the false self versus the true self? 
These are really deep waters. And I mentioned it a little bit about boyhood, but fundamentally, you know, the most important thing we can know about any human being is that they bear the image of God. That's the truest thing about your spouse, about your boss, about your enemies, Mm -hmm. about people of every socioeconomic group, of every race, of every, every gender. We bear the image of God. And what happens is that Imago Dei, that image bearing is always being expressed, but it is either being expressed out of the false self or out of the true self. And what's really important is as we mature, we begin to become more aware of which one it is that's operating. Mm. And it's only through awareness that then we began to disentangle the two and dismantle the false and restore the true. Yes. But we have to become aware. And so what I want to say is the false self is the person we become that we offer to the world that is very self-protective. It's a self-life. It's a caricature of who we were meant to be. It has an effect on other people. And in some ways, we've learned to be that person uh, because we get rewarded for it. We might be the funny guy. We might be the leader. We might be the passive guy. We might be the guy that always has a joke. We might be the person that never has anything to say. We might be the person that always has to win. We might be the person that never even competes because they don't want to lose. Um, it's always never, it's that predictable thing. When my wife says, Hey honey, do you want to go get a day of solitude? She knows what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, yes, yes. I'm an introvert. And that's like the biggest gift. When my wife says, Hey, I didn't tell you, but we're having more guests to stay in our house next week. She knows how I'm going to react. Okay. Like my reaction is very telling about the false self. And that reaction has nothing to do with God. Um, It might be that God has for me to take solitude. It might be that he wants me to stay home and help my wife around the house. Mm -hmm. It might be that we are to host friends at our home because God has something really particularly planned for the initiation of one of our nieces or nephews. It might be that that's really not a healthy idea, but to be rooted in God out of my true self is very different than to simply react out Mm. of a pre-programmed set of beliefs and values. And so to give an example, I'm a very intense person. As you probably know, my intensity has got me in a lot of trouble. In high school, it got me arrested multiple times. It got me doing very big things that were very bad ideas. But I'm intense. I throw myself into projects, people, ideas. And as I began to mature, I began to resent that intensity. And I said, I wish I could just chill more. I wish I could like wear flip flops. Mm. I wish I could be one of those guys that watches baseball. Like (laughs) who watches baseball? Seriously. Like it blows my mind. Right. (laughs) Right. Like I I don't understand it. You and I are more alike than then you know, my friend. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Well, here's some good news for you. I tried to repent from the image of God in me, and that's a very unproductive idea. 
what I found was the image of God in me in intensity was being expressed in the false self. So when I was doing it out of a woundedness that mm. came with a lie that I am loved when I come through for people, right? That's the ultimate kind of sentence I've excavated out of my false self. I find love when I come through. If I don't come through for you in this podcast, I will... I'm, I have a bend to be very disappointed in myself. Mm. And so I have a tendency to be an overachiever. And so when that intensity is in the service of the false, I give too much. I serve too much. I do too much. It's, it's a heroic life all the time. And I end up resenting it. I feel the pains in my body. I feel it in relationships. I fight bravely and die quickly. But when that intensity is in the service of love, I partner with God to change the world. That's why becoming a king exists. That's mm. why I was able to prevail through that study guide, which took 10 years of forming and forging. It's why the intensive is shaping shapers in the kingdom all around the world. It's because I have, pre I have patiently endured through intensity. So the question is, who is my false? And who is my true? And one of the ways to get to that is simply, what's your impact on people? To ask your wife, to ask your boss, to ask people that will give you honest feedback, your friends, what's it like to be around me mm. for good and for ill? What's, what's my effect? And, and it will excavate both the true self and the false self. And a lot of this is in the study guide for becoming a king and goes in through tons of podcasts and blogs. But ultimately, that's where I'll just finish with this, is that Paul has a radical conversion, right? He is a, a hater of the Christian faith and the Christian, the ones of the way. He's a persecutor. He literally pulls, he, there's a story of him pulling a woman by her hair down a street um, because she, she worships Jesus Christ. And he has a radical conversion. And and then there's 14 years we don't know about his life. I find it fascinating. Hmm. There are 14 years we know nothing about Paul's life. But when he comes back, we get the Paul of the epistles. We get this fiery, mature man in the early church. And he has this eloquent, the most, um, the well-communicated disposition on the false self and the true self I've ever heard in Romans 6 and 7, where he says, here's where I find myself. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Mm -hmm. I was in the very same place with my one of my children this weekend. There were things in my heart I so longed to communicate in some real um, difficult tension we were having, having, and yet I couldn't find myself um, to say them. And yet I found myself reacting defensively when what I wanted to do was offer my tears and my compassion to come to the center of my, of my child's heart. Mm -hmm. But what's so important about that passage, Nick, is that Paul has become very aware of the two selves at work in him. And that's why this passage gets so confused because it's, it's both. We have a good heart and we have an evil heart. We have a heart given over to sin and death. 
and we have a heart that's being restored through Christ. And those are very different people. And Paul is articulating through his initiation over 14 years of walking with God, he's become the kind of person that can articulate, I don't always do what I want to do because I don't always act out of who I truly am. But through Christ, I can become aware of the false man. I can put him to death. And through a greater resurrection, I can become the kind of man that's not only wholehearted, but can live in union with God, real time, moment by moment intimacy. And I become the person, the kind of person in my true self that literally nothing can harm me. Mm. I've passed through death to a greater life that even physical death actually leads to a greater life. And that's why he says, I become the kind of person that I am ready for anything, anywhere. In other words, you know, I, I, I've learned a secret that in all things, right, I can make it through in the one who makes me who I am. In other words, I have, I know my false self with a, near a hundred percent clarity. I don't always act out of my true self, but I am aware of this civil war. I'm putting to death the false and I'm resurrecting the true man. And that's a path and a process that takes time, but that's where we find true and lasting peace and joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's helpful, I think, is when you're speaking about um, the importance of becoming aware of the false self. And I think that awareness also breeds this almost gamifying of reality, where now that you are able to label this and become aware of it and see it and not necessarily identify with it, it's almost like you can, that that itself, the awareness itself gives you a leg up on it because now it's almost like a, like I said, you gamify it. Now you you try and conquer it. You you are aware that you need to take steps to conquer it, that, that you can conquer it and you can, you know, subdue it and then choose to act in a different way. Um, and that's helped me just, just being able to label it as the false self and identify it and not identify with it as who I am. Um, yeah, huge. That, that label is absolutely essential and, and it's not punitive. It's explore, it's explorative. Like, um, it, the idea is once we know it, then we become students of our own soul, mm. of our own story, right? We, we learn once we label it of, oh, there's a reason why we did that. My friend, you know, I had a friend that told me this, you know, he said, you, you know, he came back from vacation and he was tired. And he said, you know, Morgan, the problem with vacation is I go with me. Hmm. He said, the, I, I think going to Hawaii is going to solve everything, but I go with me to Hawaii. It's the me <laughs> that's in the way, right? It's like that same maximizer, achiever, strategist. I throw myself in Hawaii to adventure and I want to get a surf lesson and I want to swim and I want to paddle and I want to snorkel. And I come home tired. And you go, why do I always go with me? Right. But that same man, when he was 12 years old, his father pulled him outside the house and said, and, and he, he, the, the, he didn't confess, but his, his dad had had an affair. He was a pastor, had an affair with the church secretary, classic story. You know, this woman that's in the trenches with him that knows him and cares mm-hmm. for his heart and where he feels like a man in the pulpit and not at home. And he said, son, you are the man of the house. Now I'm leaving. Hmm. And at, at 12, 
my friend had to be the man of the house. And so he learned to be an adult at 12. He learned to provide, to be responsible, to make sure he saves every dollar. He doesn't waste money. And he learned to have very little joy. That false self saved his life in those early years because he did have to survive. He did have to grow up far too early. But Nick, he got to a point where it was no longer serving him. And so when we name the false self, we get to acknowledge him with compassion and Mm. say, you are no longer welcome. You no longer have say here. I don't give you permission anymore to shape my marriage, to sabotage my career, to keep me bound in fear. You, you don't, you're not welcome here. You're not me. You are separate. And so you're right. A gamifying is a good term. And it's a very, um, it, it's really exciting because you'll, you'll see the fruit I, rather quickly. And yet you'll see damn deep transformation over time. Thomas Keating has a brilliant book, Open Mind, Open Heart. He describes the false self like a bicycle wheel. You think of a bicycle wheel spinning, where as long as it's spinning, it won't fall over. But as soon as it slows down, it begins to get wobbly. And Mm. it wobbles more and more until it has no energy and it falls down. And uh, Father Keating uses that as the perfect illustration that the false self is like a bicycle wheel where the center of gravity is itself. And as soon as we quit doing, we quit driving, we quit working, we fall. It's never enough. It's exhausting. And that's why men in their 30s and especially in their 40s come to a point of of just simply tiredness, of exhaustion. It's not so much of body, but it is of soul mm-hmm. that manifests in the body where the the true self, the center of gravity is God himself, that we were meant to be in God. In him, we breathe and live and have our being, that we literally cannot understand our lives apart from God. What have we come to believe about God and how much are we really looking for utter dependency and reliance on him as a source of strength and not weakness, as as a central theme of our days and not just a backup plan? I think in closing today, you know, we've talked about the true self and the false self, and we talked about the 20s and 30s, and you mentioned my mentor, John Moorhead. Uh, he, he was one of my first fathers in the faith that I sought him out because of a light in his eyes. He ha- it, um, had some terrible struggles that he had to move through, um, much of which are confidential. But one of the things he struggled with was, um, was lung cancer. He battled, he's a physician, battled it for 12 years heroically, but he had the rare privilege of knowing that, um, his days were numbered. You know, I, I lost a dear friend yesterday to a car accident and Mm. it was just shock. It's just sent ripples through the world. But, but John Moore had knew his was coming. And so he, he was a student He was a student of Dallas Willard. He was a student of God. He was a son to a father. And he had the privilege of carving out his own grave marker. Um, And and it said, John Milton Moorhead, end of construction. Mm. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) Nick, what John understood was that all of life is a preparation that all of these days 
Lewis says it is the um, preparation for heaven and heaven becomes the consummation, the wedding feast, the wedding night, the wedding chamber, the consummation of our earthly apprenticeship. Make no mistake that he saves the best for last, that the best is yet to come, that we are being prepared for a world that is beyond anything we can imagine. You know, Lewis says, if we find ourselves dissatisfied with the best that this world has to offer, it can only conclude that we were made for another world Mm -hmm. and that that world is yet to come. We are all under construction Mm. and there is mess, there's pain, There's much digging that needs to be done, but I can assure you because God assures us that if we do the work to excavate, to lay a proper foundation, that when the storm comes, we will find that we haven't built a house, a family, or a kingdom on shifting sand. We've built it on a rock and the storms can come and blow. Mm. And I promise you, we will find God to be reliable. Amen. I'm in the midst of a terrible storm in my family um, that just surfaced this weekend. And when I sink into God, I know I am doing the work to excavate. My foundation is sure. And though I'm deeply sad for what we face in our circumstances, my heart is well and at peace because mm. I'm finding that God is reliable. And so I just want to bless our friends. We are under construction. And thank you for your patience. Morgan, that was beautiful once again, as always. Man, I just so much appreciate you. It's just crazy. Oh, I mean, buddy, God, it's so God holy. Put you in my life at a at a very crucial time, and it's just it's beautiful. And I'm just all praise to the King. Yeah, you know, Nick, I'm I, I'm very um, I'm just feeling a lot of emotion this morning. And what's interesting is like there's definitely things surfacing. You know, my buddy John getting killed and some stuff in my family this weekend. But to be honest, like what I'm feeling in this podcast is like the father's heart for you. Like I feel like you are you are being pursued by love and all the mental challenges you went through, like all your suffering was preparation. And what I want you to know is below it, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the most helpful readers, um, uh, Parker Palmer, he's a pacifist, which is crazy making to me. Um, and yet he's a holy man and, and he, he, he struggled with a, a deep, severe multi-year depression, which, which helps me because that's not exactly what my battles were but it's like, like kind, it's like, okay, I can trust you. And he said that fundamentally what he found below the depression after years, below the depression, the undercurrent was the prevailing care of God. He said the deepest thing was the love of God. The deepest thing was his prevailing goodness. The deepest thing was him at works that the more we collapse, the more we find that we're safe and we're loved. And, and I just, I have this vision of you, like the father, like letting you fall down, like letting you just get deeper and just get in your shit so that you can discover this love of God. That's like unstoppable. And that's, what's coming to you. And so 
like, no doubt there's trials ahead, but you're a king. You're a king and you're anointed to bring a lot. And this is not wasted. And take your time. Take your time. Thank you, man. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've suffered a lot, man, in the last year. And it's been it's been super hard. But, I mean, everything you, that you just said is spot on. And God is good, man. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, Morgan. You're welcome. Okay. God bless you. We'll talk again yeah. soon. You too. Okay. See Thanks, you, buddy. Man. Bye. Friends, it's my hope and my heart for you that there are things being raised inside of your masculine soul through the conversation with Nick. It's my hope that there are ways the spirit is just illuminating a story, a piece, a portion. And so before we run off to the next thing, as you know, it's not about content. I love how Dallas said, Jesus's teaching was such that you wouldn't have to take notes. They would actually find its home in you, that there were words or stories, there was a string that was pulled that began an unraveling that was wonderfully unfinished. And so I wanna pause and just ask the Holy Spirit to allow this thing, this piece that's surfacing in your heart from this podcast to just have some space. As we started the podcast, that scripture from Matthew chapter five, Jesus saw the huge crowds that he was drawing. And so he climbed a hillside and those that were apprenticed to him, the committed ones climbed alongside of him. They arrived at a quiet place and they sat down as he taught. So Jesus, we come to this quiet place in a busy, loud world. We come with you as your climbing companions. And we say, Jesus, we are the ones who are apprenticed to you. So Holy Spirit, what do you want to illuminate? What was in this podcast that's for today? How are you shining your light? And friends, it may just be an emotion. You may feel frustration or anger. You may feel lack. You may feel hopefulness. You may feel validation or invalidation. It might be a story or a quote. God, you are the one that tends to our soul. Scriptures say that you care, you provide abundant care for those who draw near to you. And so Jesus, in this place, I, I am praying that you would increase your grace, that I would want to want more of you, that you would come and bring your ministry. Holy Spirit, your divine counsel for what I do in this place. Father, your affirmation that you are here, that this is on time, that this is intended and there is an order to your initiation of my heart in this time. And Jesus, your power breaks the power of death.
you release shackles. You bring freedom to the captive places. And Jesus, you are tender to the younger parts of us that lack initiation. God, you are quick to forgive and abundant in mercy. And Holy Spirit, you are generous in your counsel. And so on this day, God, we consecrate the fullness of our initiation to you. We declare that we are your sons and we want to become your sons. And we just choose to crucify anything and everything that separates us from you. The scriptures say nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can stop your pursuit. And so Holy Spirit, just show us today what's in the way. What stands between me, God, and the fullness of you? To trust you, to wait on you with eager expectation and to hope in the coming of your kingdom in this day and in this decade. God, you have us and we have you. And so we trust you. We ask that you would increase our capacity to trust you. We receive you. We ask that you would increase our capacity to receive you. God, we turn our gaze upon you. We receive your gaze upon us. Let us see your face, your compassion, your joy, your celebration, your care. We are your sons, you are our father. We choose to come home to you. We give everyone and everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's an honor and it's a privilege to share this sacred space with you. If you want to dive into more from this podcast series, as I mentioned earlier, this was drawn from a two-part series where Nick Carlisle interviewed me. And you can find that on the becomegoodsoil.com website under podcasts, under the section, other podcasts. I look forward to being together again on another episode, Become Good Soil podcast.